Welcome to Holyrood Unguided, the Luis Inacio Lula da Silva of political podcasts. Season 4, episode 4, I am your host, David McClement, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this evening is my internal comrade, Mogai's Digital Michelangelo, Deborah Torrens. Hi. And the special guest completing this week's triumvirate, co-convener of the Rainbow Green, hammer of the Fash fundamentalist, it's Beth Douglas. Beth, Hello. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. A long time lurker listening to um, your podcasts over the years. And it was great to finally write for you earlier this year. And, and now it's great to finally be here just chatting. Chinwagon. Always nice to meet a fan. <laughs> How are you, David? How's uh, your for, I'm falling apart, it seems. I've got athlete's foot, so I want to claw my left foot off. I've got conjunctivitis in both eyes now. So oh. I, I'm wondering about looking like I'm hungover all the time. I've got a sore throat and four you, kids that are annoying me. And I'm falling apart, it seems. Did you put your eye patch on the wrong eye? Is that how you spread it? No, but I was getting paranoid because I took when I took pictures, the, it was like flipping it in the picture. And I was looking at the Facebook pictures later, thinking, Did I, was I wearing that in the wrong eye? And then I remember oh, no. it, it flipped. In the lead up to Halloween, not the best time to start wearing an eye patch because everybody thinks you're trying to be a pirate. Or maybe it's the perfect time because people will be like, well, that that's not too weird because it's around Halloween. So so that's fine, isn't it? And then, and then if I keep wearing it tomorrow, you will like, let it go. Halloween's finished, mate. Let it go. I'm, an, I'm into the eye patch. They're very useful. I quite like them. Eye injuries. I might just keep wearing it just so I've got permanent night vision. I need to see a picture of you in an eye patch now. Like, and how you throw off. Like, oh, I'll get that posted. Yeah. I definitely. The people want to see it. Give, give it. Give the content to the people. I knew what wrestler he was dressed as. I wasn't dressed as a wrestler. You, he was. <laughs> you see. He's, ungagged listeners, tell me what uh, wrestler a, he was dressed as. I was dressed as a member of the Frexit Mafia. The eye patch was for medical reasons. Anyway, enough about me. How how your weekends and Halloween, Deborah. Uh, ben, <laughs> I was going to say Beth because she's our guest. Guest first. Okay oh. then. <laughs> yeah, um, my weekend's been good so far. Um, I'm about to go out dancing. So after I get this recorded and everything, there's like a late night Monday night party, which is just really weird to to have in my schedule. But Halloween just so happens to fall on a Monday, so that that's where. The night calls me, so it's going to be a really weird sort of that. But as for my actual weekend, like I was going to go to another party, but it got cancelled, so that's great. Um, hence, like the emergency, like Monday night, hurrah, and everything. And I also went down to the seaside as well. It's quite cold at Lovely. the moment, but it was still quite nice to go down and just have a weekender. Did you dip your toes in? No, no, I'm too, I'm, I'm too fear, way too fear of that. I've got to, if I go near any water, I've got to put my feet in like a child. Don't get me wrong, I love wild swimming. Like, see see at the right time of year, I will just dive into any pool of water. Well, not any pool of water, let's be realistic here. Ah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, but I pure just love, you know, just going into like places like Loch Lomond or the west of Scotland, like the west coast. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. But like at this time of year, no. It, the sun isn't even out up in the sky for an hour I went paddle. I went paddleboarding a couple of months ago, and I would do that when you get the wetsuit on. I'd never worn a wetsuit before, so that keeps you a bit warmer than 
normal swimming that I've done before. So, given a wetsuit, I would maybe brave walk home and do something like that. But I don't that, even, no I don't bother with a wetsuit. I just go in with some shorts. Oh no, couldn't manage that. <laughs> well, then I, I've not really been doing much. We were uh, trying to train the dog a bit this weekend. Um, she's got sit down and we're trying to get her to do circus dog, which is like a little fancy thing, and uh, give you paw. But she's very uncooperative. She's sleeping right now, so I'm trying to let her. <laughs> this is and why I prefer last... cats that refuse to be controlled. Well, speaking of which, I, I picked up um, kind of streaming. I, I streamed uh, Breath of the Wild on a friend's channel, which is like some sort of Zelda game. Um, and my cat, I was in it for about an hour and a half. Way banter, really good vibes. And then my cat um, presses the power button on my PC and, oh, and no. turns off. And I've just, I've never said no so much in such a quick succession in my whole life. Um, and it totally killed the stream. It totally like... Oh no. <laughs> that, was no that was no accident. I know exactly. Yeah, cats like she used to do it when she was a kitten, where I'd be like, I'd be working on a project or, you know, typing up a report or something, and you haven't saved very well. And it will be the case that she finds it very warm up on the top of my PC because it's the top of PC, and there's a nice wee clicky button there. So why not? <laughs> it's meant to be pushed. Exactly. I love cats. Do you not think it's awful warm for Halloween? Like, we've not had any geysers yet, but do you not think it's warm like we've got flowers still blooming in the garden um i was earlier i think you mentioned it it wasn't chilly at all it's been very wet though it's been it's been very wet and i don't know a little it's, it's getting slightly more windier but not colder necessarily just thought it was weird but no. it's dark it's it's absolutely dark now. like when it comes to like six seven that's no sun o'clock well, I think once we get to the stage where we're talking about the weather, we're better just getting into the, the podcast. That, that's that's probably true, but there is a little bit of a spooky atmosphere still. Okay, let's get on gagged. Um, Rishi Sunak has moved swiftly to appoint his cabinet this week as he tries to create unity within the fractured Conservative Party. He has kept a number of ministers in the same posts they were in before, including Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, Foreign Secretary Jude Cleverly, and Defence Secretary Ben Wallace. Swella Braverman has, has been reappointed as Home Secretary six days after leaving the post, despite committing a breach of national security. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the kind of ins and outs of the cabinet. What was your thoughts? They are, to- they are still Tories, so I'm not expecting these ought to be a big fan. Beth, is there any thoughts you had? I mean, I'm still quite worried, obviously. <laughs> I think I think it's still just going to be just about the same as the shambles as the last one. I, I You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have high hopes at all whatsoever. And I think it, it, it looks kind of obvious that the Tories' strategy of trying to cling back some of the mass support that it's lost 
over the last you know just month or so um is is with culture wars you know it's it's doubling down on on issues of culture wars of immigration of trans people of you know even if you look at the the new uh, secretary for women and equalities like she's not even in favor of buffer zones um and her own voting record on abortion issues is just it's laughable it's absolutely laughable so no i don't like the new cabinet and and i think it's it's a sign of probably more bad things to come that the way that the tories are probably going to win back some of their um popularity is is going to be with not necessarily being good with economics because they're not um it's going to be through be angry at your neighbor rather than be angry at us absolutely beth uh, what you were saying is just there's no hope really as it's like the hopeless cabinet i, I was just looking through uh, the reshuffle on twitter and the top one i had saved uh, i don't know if you've seen this number 10 had been putting out pictures of all the secretaries and i had been keeping an eye out for the territorial ministers because they're very important and also we had a bet on uh, if alistair jack's uh, job was safe uh, as it turns out it was the top one on the thread i had saved was actually the right honorable pat st clement mp who was appointed Deputy Prime Minister and Secretary of State for Earrings and Fashion. And I was like, I know her face. And it's uh, Pat Butcher. You won't see it. I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say, was she know any standards? <laughs> so obviously I'd got really bored uh, while researching this. Um, I think the top one we've got to really talk about and this reappointment of the Cabinet is uh, Suella Braverman, let's be honest, and... She she got into trouble for sending messages uh, to another parliamentarian, and we touched a wee bit on it in the last pod. I think it was Rishi Sunak. I think that's how it is not being made a big deal because that's how she got the job. Like, no, it, it was John Hayes. She sent it. I, I but is it really? <laughs> why, why is why is, why, is, why is she sending it, John Hayes? Well, apparently it's, that's she, he's he's like a mentor. So basically, she's running everything by him. So he's working the Home Secretary like a puppet, well, which is that ruined, my, that ruined my theory because I thought perfectly good conspiracy know. in the back. Uh, I was right. In we'll it. make another one. Let's go. <laughs> it's just it's really hard to make up a, a shocking rumor that would really shame them at this point. Yeah, that would matter. They like <laughs> even if you were to go so far as like, oh, I hair cheese babies. Like people would be like, yeah. It's not surprising. Like it um, wouldn't be, it wouldn't change anyone's opinion. Yeah, the press would be already trying to be like an article be spiked or something like that, saying, "Oh, actually, eating babies is quite a reasonable choice." Yeah, uh, why we should all eat babies? Like, <laughs> the cost of living crisis. Blah blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Sula Braverman, six days, she resigned over like national matter of national security. Yeah. In six days, she gets reappointed. So, if someone yeah. was a resigna- resignation issue six days ago, why, why is it alright to put her straight back in? It's now come out today. I think that she sent uh, six other emails from her to her personal account. So she's so. so the thing she resigned for, she's it's now turned out she ran another six times, but apparently Finally. she's still continuing the job. Finally, the left gets to bang on about someone's emails for a change. Like, yeah, it's our turn, folks. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, we just become sort of 
inert to their incompetence, I think. I think we're just like, oh, well, big deal. And then she's back in. I mean, think about that happening, I don't know, a decade ago. Like, would this not really be an absolute government scandal and she should most definitely not be talking about uh, southern invasions of England? And yeah, I saw that today. Dispatch, at the dispatch box, did you see that today? No, yeah. I literally did. Gosh. Oh my goodness. It's like, see if you don't glue yourself to, to their bullshit all the time. Yeah. It's just, it's it's total things like that, that that thank you, that you'd be like, surely not. And then you go and Google it and it's like, yeah, actually, yeah, she did to that. The level of like, incompetence, though, does seemingly just keep ratcheting up. Like, mm-hmm. Stuff that we were shocked at, like, you know, maybe a year or two years ago, suddenly becomes routine. And things well, think, that were resignation issues suddenly become just, like, well, a bad news day for them. This is what, like, ultimately, like, Boris Johnson wanted. Um, and I think because it took so long for us to get him removed. Because I, I remember just, like, it was almost seemed like every week you were like, right, this is the thing. This is the thing that he resigns over. Finally, we're going to get. And it, it's not. And then you sort of just got into this mode of not being surprised of anything. And, and now we're kind of in a mode of going like, at least it's not Boris. But actually, it's, it's something worse than that. Like, mm-hmm. at least, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but at least Boris was elected. Um, right now, we just have unelected Tory leaders making completely different political agendas to what they were elected on, on fracking and on even conversion therapy. It looks like they're going to go back on that now as well. They're going to review the, the former government's work on it, um, which sounds like we're going to U-turn on it altogether. And it, someone pointed out to me the other day that, you know, remember when prime ministers used to be around for like a decade or up until a decade? Like, you know, Tony Blair was in for quite a long time. Thatcher was in for a long time. John Major, even Cameron, David Cameron was in for like, I think seven years or something like that. But now we're just quick firing for each one. And it sort of shows that the system itself is, it's crumbling. It's it's falling to pieces. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, I'm trying, I would just try to think, there might be boys 18 months, so that's what about four prime ministers he's lived through. I that's think I'm, I was in my 20s before I'd seen four prime ministers. And even that is becoming routine. Like, you genuinely wouldn't be that shocked if there was another Prime Minister early next year. Well, there was news today that apparently some MPs are already submitting um, letters of no confidence to the, to the, to the uh, what is it, the 1922 committee? Yeah. Um, and it's just like, when when does this when does this end? Because in their heads, they're like, oh, it's going to be all okay if they just elect another Conservative leader. But when do they come round to the, their own sanity and say, wait, actually, maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe, maybe it's the problem with the party and everyone we we appoint, but like, you can't just keep on going around in this cycle. Well, I mean, it's got to get to a point where all of them are a shot at being Prime Minister and they'll run out of MPs. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe it's like, you know, the Tories are finally becoming communists and they're all going to share being Prime Minister for like a week each. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I said this last pod, but uh, since it's Halloween, I'm saying it again. I think they're going to end up digging up Margaret Thatcher. They could, like, make um, a cyborg version of Thatcher. Like, a Thatcher that's, you know, more machine than, than women, but, you know, an, an iron lady. <laughs> <laughs>
But um, yeah, you you mentioned earlier Emmy Badnot, who was reappointed as international trade secretary, but now she's also got me minister for women equalities. The first thing she yeah. did was stand up in Parliament and attack the CEO of Pink News. Like that seems like a priority for the equalities minister. Yeah, I glanced over that on on Twitter, and it wasn't even like 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 a a, a small C like slander. It did see it seemed to be like just like an outright lie. Yeah, like she like said that they're defaming her and. Uh, they've been sued. No, they've never been sued. <laughs> no, they've never been sued. I, I believe that there was like um, a legal threat that was made from Joanna Cherry, um, but it never got to the case that they were in court or whatever. I've got some stats in the new cabinet. What oh, some stats? I would love yeah. to hear some stats. So, this cabinet has fewer women than any cabinet set going back to the first coalition cabinet. 23% wow. women in this one. Uh, that's the lowest since David Cameron and Nick Clegg's cabinet, which is 17%. Yeah, so there's that stat. 61% privately educated, which is actually that's... Be- better than the last two cabinets, Prime Minister's cabinet. Yeah, that 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 actually that, that does surprise I mean, me. Marginally, just a few percentage points. Shockingly, that going back to Thatcher's first cabinet in 1979, what Prime Minister do you think is the lowest percentage of privately educated oh like what well, uh, oh that's a good question uh theresa may yes yes wow good guess. Um, like significantly better like it's two percent better than the the two labor cabinets but like wow. half the amount of most of the other Tory ones i don't know what was going on in 2016 that suddenly all the privately educated ones <laughs> weren't yet in cabinet jobs would you really want someone like re-smog in your cabinet though He's the most privately educated, like, out of all of them, you could be like, right, that is a private school personified into a human being. That's all my stats I've got, actually. I made it sound, I think I built that up more than... More no, than it's, it's cool. That was, I, I, I was blown away with those stats. Like, <laughs> Deborah, did you like those stats? I always appreciate some stats. Uh, James Cleverly, I was surprised to see him in. Uh, Secretary of State for Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Affairs. And then I seen him on the news, he was out doing his Commonwealth. Did you see that? His Commonwealth? Well, I don't know what you call it when you go <laughs> out. Com- and... Commonwealth and all about the place. <laughs> when you go out and visit the Commonwealth. Please don't be independent, please. Yeah, basically, that's please. what Please. We, we know like, that there's been... We know there's been a change of royals, but please don't leave us. I can't remember where he was. I I wasn't paying that much attention, obviously. Well, he was one of the ones that was kept in from Truss's cabinet. Like um, Some of the letters going into the 1922 committee, I think, are angry that Jacob B. Small, who is the most famous name that's been left out of the cabinet. Imagine trying to bring down the government because Jacob B. Small isn't going to get a job. I mean, nobody will ever explain that to me. He really like, did uh, seem to double down on the sort of Boris or Bus sort of rec- record, and and to be fair, like you lost Boris, didn't get reelected. So I'm yeah. sorry, is is Bust Reesmog? Yeah. So, sorry, don't get a see ya. Job. I think I said this last week, but Jacob Reesmog called Rishi Sunak a socialist, which <laughs> is just like getting it. How could you climb into that head and figure that out? Rishi Sunak, the, the richest prime minister ever, and he thinks he's a socialist. I, lo- I like Theresa Coffey. She's now the Secretary of State for Environmental 
food and rural affairs. So that's good. Uh, going into impending climate disaster, isn't it? We've got her to rely on. I don't. She, I don't know if that counts as a demotion or if it's a sideways thing. She was health before. I don't know how they how they rank in, all the the jobs. In in a Tories frame of view, I think that would be a a, a demotion. Probably under other governments, it would be like a, a sideways sort of position. But if you're a Tory, you're not that excited about the environment, are you? Like, come on. In fairness, though, they're not very excited about the National Health Service either. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember them referring to COP27 as, as just a group of people meeting up. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just a couple of people getting together. That's what people were doing in the SEC last year at the Hydro. They were just... You know, it's just people coming together, apparently. Like, I mean, te technically, it's not wrong. Do you know what? I'm really angry you said that, but, I mean, you're, you're kind of you're right. I mean, it's I what mean, it should be. As is the cabinet, you know, as is the government. It's all, it's all just people, man. It's all just people coming together. Uh, yeah, I mean, the COP, COP26, and, 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 and just the, the concept of COP, in general, like it's, it's obviously very important that we get the world's leaders into the one room to to agree on on how to pollute less. But what we're also kind of doing by default is we're gathering up the world's biggest polluters, forcing them into one room. We're saying, "Hey, polluters, can you please pollute less?" So it's I, I get, but like I don't know what other system. Like, well, you could definitely probably say more radical systems, but in terms of like. If it was that or nothing, like I, I definitely think they should be at COP twenty seven at the moment, and it just seems like the government at the moment's just totally skipping out on it and reneging and all the promises that they made last year that fracking's back, that you know coal fires and incinerators, and it just it's kind of horrible. Yeah, we were about switch into the Devon coast. Yeah, well. definitely. <laughs> I think I think last year when COP twenty six was on, we were all a bit cynical, you know, like. All these governments will come together, they'll make promises yeah. that don't quite go far enough and then they'll slide back on them and then they'll even meet their own targets. But, but I mean, if it's reaching the stage where you're not even bothered to pay lip service to it, it's, we really are in trouble. Definitely. You know, it's, it's very important that you don't, you know, wander into doomerism, into climate doomerism and just saying, like, we're all fucked, but we really need to, to make sure that there is some systematic change like because we can't do it with capitalism we can't save this world with capitalism we can't have the uh, the concept of endless growth while while trying to save the planet it just doesn't it's it's non-compatible i'm in tory doomism like, <laughs> yeah you know, feel like we're <laughs> just doomed by toryism forever um, well, that is 12 <laughs> years which is not an insignificant amount of time you know, what was it, 18 years, I remember, like, my, the first 18 years of my life was under Tories, and it's happening all over again. But to be we, fair, I think... We even... always end up ending topics on, like, your doom note. We've done this last week, like, well, we just sort of talk ourselves into our depressive, but... I suppose, I, I, I guess, like, the way that I would flip that on its head and uplift it is, like, remind people the importance of, like getting out there and doing stuff and like supporting like actual proper movements because it's very easy to get bogged down on Twitter and argue yourself until you're bleeding out your eyes but you need to unfortunately get out there you know and and do some direct action or else you know we're all fucked but only you can do that listener 
You can do this. Come on. I know you can. See, this is your role, Beth. You're, you're the optimist. You're going to bring the sunlight. I guess. I, dark, I don't know. Dark autumn evening. I'm still very angry for sunlight. Maybe intense sunlight. Maybe sunlight that kind of blinds you. Let's go with that. <laughs> the next topic um, we're talking about tonight is uh, gender recognition reform stage one passed uh, in Parliament this week, despite nine SNP MSPs defying the party whip. That included Ash Regan, who resigned as Community Safety Minister in order to vote against it. Despite this, the bill passed the first stage uh, with 84 votes in favour and 33 against, as it was supported by all parties in the Parliament except for the Tories. And there was even two Tories that broke uh, ranks and voted in favour uh, of the act. Deborah? I'm glad that it's uh, past stage one. Uh, it needs some uh, work on the legislation for non-binary recognition. I've been annoying my MSP. Uh, she voted for uh, stage one. Um, there's a, I done a wee uh, round-robin email, got some different responses back from different representatives, like mad regional reps and uh, uh, my constituency reps. Uh, and they were all very varied. Ross Breers was one of my favourite because it had so much information and I could uh, gleam a lot of it <laughs> for this podcast. So thanks, Ross. Uh, it isn't even, this shouldn't be a topic that is really discussed or have any controversy. It's such a simple bureaucratic thing about trans folk being able to get the, the identification that matches their, who they are. So it's like, it's, it's so frustrating that this has been hijacked. And I'm not going to repeat any of uh, the stupid fucking rhetoric that is getting pumped out about things that are just untrue. It is not even misinformation, it's disinformation because it's completely deliberate. It's driving me nuts. Uh, and I really think that Beth is probably got a stronger voice on this and I think she should uh, give us that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. I mean, I think it was really interesting to see to see Ash. Uh, Ash Was it Ash Denham or Reagan? Sorry, just such a popular... Um, I think um, Ash know, Denham was our married name. She's, yeah. she's right Ash now she's Ash Reagan. Ash Reagan. You know, I, I just don't know how the government's going to handle together without Ash there. It's just going to completely fall to pieces and you know, she's just such a household name that every dinner I sit down with my mother, she's like, oh, and that Ash Reagan, oh, she's lovely. Um, no one's, that's not as complete bullshit lie. And what I found really interesting about that was, you know, Nicola Sturgeon's response to that letter and basically saying like, we've never had a discussion about this. We've We've never actually talked. And I find it really interesting how she could have just kept her minister's salary if she just reached out to, to her boss and said, by the way, I'm really struggling to, to get my head around this and I'm wondering if you could help me. But obviously, I don't know, the grift might be more important. But I just think it's really bizarre because, Deborah, you're right, it is such a small change. It is simply making the admin side of, of getting a gender recognition certificate a little bit easier. It's not a new right. It's just right now there's like, a really humiliating panel that trans people need to go through uh, and they need to gather up evidence across two years and that party will be quite, uh, that party, sorry, that, that panel will be quite strict and anything that it can pull you up on, it, it, it will. And it's a complete 
panel of strangers and they're not experts on gender either but they're a panel of medical you know uh, staff and they're strangers to you they don't know you they can see some of your doctor's notes they can see the evidence you submitted but past mm. that they're they're strangers and you know i think the reason why the only reason really why a GRC, a gender recognition certificate, is important, and I just really want to emphasize this because it just sort of shows how, how this is quite small, but actually really important at the same time. There's some things with marriage that, that people get a GRC, so taxes relating to marriage or just really just identification and records, the correct records um, for, for getting married. And then the second one, the more important one, is your death certificate. When you pass away, the certificate on your birth certificate informs your death certificate what it should be. And if that hasn't been amended, a trans people could be buried under the wrong gender, the wrong sex. And I think it's really cruel, actually, to be like, well, no, I'm not going to allow them to make a simple change, um, a simple admin, because... At the end of the day, when was the last time, and I say this to the rest of, to, to, to this podcast, like, have you ever had to use your birth certificate to access any services? I haven't, you know, it's it's really it's really sad. And so this is a an incredibly small change. And the fact that you've got people willing to not only just defy the whip, but also lose your minister position is quite frankly pathetic. And it shows how much you actually do hate trans people under something so small yeah i mean i'd never heard the ash reagan before and i kind of had a google and the only thing that really came up was that at some point she had a lot of staff left with unusually large payoffs and non-disclosure agreements in place which seemed rather suspicious but i wonder if we might find out at some stage what that was about but um it's good to see this moving forward because it, it just feels as if it's been stuck in limbo for a long time and all that's been doing is leaving a lot of space for all these all this misinformation and outright lies to get perpetuated and repeated. So I think the best thing that could happen is to get through and the lies will evaporate because once it's in place and all these things that they've been screaming about and convincing themselves, I think, it's not going to happen. And, you know, you can keep screaming about the world, the ceiling's going to come in, but... If you do the thing that they think is going to cause the ceiling to come in, the ceiling stays in place, you lose all credibility. And I really do think that once this goes through, this kind of hysteria about, against trans people will die down to a certain extent. It will disappear, but, you know, it will not be as bad as this, I hope. I'm disappointed in the SNP representatives that are vocally anti-trans um, and also anti-abortion and you know other things that let's be honest I don't think belong in the SNP but clearly they, there should be a way they can be reprimanded I'm, I'm so disappointed in it and especially considering what uh, I understood was part of the green SNP sort of agreement that this wasn't going to be an issue and it should as I said earlier, it shouldn't be an issue. It's, you can go and read the bill, you can go and read the stage one, you can go and find out what exactly this is going to affect and change. And if you still don't understand that, you can go and you can read from organisations who literally spell it out bit by bit. A, a great one, I was, it was the Equality Network. 
I think mm-hmm. they they do one and Trans Alliance Scotland. Oh, Scottish uh, Trans, they're called now. No, Scottish Trans now. I find those resources so helpful. Not necessarily for me but to be able to explain it to other people who might have the same questions but what I was really enthused about was that uh, every person in the SNP that I've spoken to are completely and utterly uh, supportive of a reform of the Gender Recognition Act because let's be honest that's what it is it's Mm -hmm. reform of something that's already been happening (laughs) it's so frustrating and just solidarity to all my trans siblings and my non-binary siblings who I'm going to annoy so much my representative to make this a point because they have to be included in the reform. Definitely and I think um, you know I I really hope we do get at least at bare minimum a sort of statement from the first minister to say that we are we do intend to and we are going to like Definitely, because reform and legal uh, recognise non-binary identities in the future. Because I, I totally get in them saying that, well, we would have to degender all of our laws at the moment because quite a lot of our laws are written as man and women, or some, like, sometimes still just man. Um, and they're like, well, we would need to degender or just put they or, or you know, and be more inclusive with that. And but I'm mean, just like, that's not a bad thing. Like, see if you need to go back through all of your laws uh, and make sure that things are equal between both the genders or both the sexes, like then surely that is a as a good thing. So I get that non-binary uh, recognition is a bigger piece of work, but it's still a terrifically good piece of work. So I do really, really hope that the First Minister, you know, will say that this isn't something we're going to forget about. And this is something that we do intend to press on. And I think as well, if Scotland becomes independent, it means we are let, we don't need to cooperate with uh, Westminster as much as we would need to as well. And we could just press ahead in, you know, actual full recognition for all trans people, not just for binary trans people, but but for, for everyone. Does anybody know what the story is with the two Tories that voted in favour? So one of them was Jamie Green, and it was quite interesting, his speech, because he sort of tried to stray between both lines, speak to both sides, if that makes sense. Um, like, aka, like, oh, well, it's the SNP's fault that they've allowed so much information to go. But also, <laughs> uh, I'm going to vote yes. And and, da, 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 da. and I'm like, well, you need to recognise that your own party is, is just as a bigger source of that misinformation, if not more, because your party is, is definitely using it as as a political issue unfortunately the the you know if what party position of gender critical ideology is it's tory you know it's a tory ideology and you can see that based on the way that parliament voted but uh yeah J- jamie's been quite um he's been a, an ally to to trans people in the past he's gay himself I'm not too sure what the other one is. I think the other one is a doctor, so that's quite interesting, actually. But I could be wrong in that. Don't don't no, don't no, quote I think me. Right. Sunday, uh, yeah, there's a doctor. So so that that would be Jamie's story a little bit more. I I don't know about the other uh, fellow that much though. But there were some there were some cracking speeches. Emma Roderick was absolutely amazing, speaking about um her experiences of uh, a survivor of abuse um from cis men. And speaks about how angry it makes her that her her experiences, her trauma, 
is being weaponized by by people for right wing agendas um, to create stir up hatred. And it was it was such a powerful speech, and it was it was really really good. Um, there was a lot of speeches on that day that were just you know really kicked out of the park. Uh, including Karen Adam, Maggie Chapman. There was just a, a lot of really good bangers. It's good to see um, Labour supporting it as well. You know, I'm sure there was voices that just want to go with that instinctive Scottish Labour thing of opposing the SNP just because of the point of opposing it. It was good that the kind of progressive voices Labour won out in Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, principle. You've, you've got people like... Um, Pam Duncan Glancy, uh, who's who just seems to be an absolute star uh, when it comes to to Labour and both their opposition uh, and 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 um, her work on the uh, the Scottish Equalities Committee as well. The they have also proposed that Labour has very publicly said that they're going to amend the bill to explicitly say the bill doesn't impact the the Equality Act. And they say that they're going to do this and the effect it's going to have is everyone's going to come together and everyone's going to stop fighting and informa- misinformation or de- disinformation is, is is going to stop. And it's just a total, I feel like it's a waste of an amendment, maybe. Um, and we're going to just, I, I don't know, because you're still going to get gender critical people saying that we're being lied to by the government and you're going to get, because the reports, the evidence... The witnesses have all came forward. Women's organisations have all came forward and said, this doesn't impact the Equality Act. This doesn't. And if all of that ever, you know, evidence has been put up and, and totally overlooked, then I don't know what a difference this is going to make by firmly putting it in text to the bill. I don't think, it doesn't necessarily even make it worse, but it doesn't make it better. And as a result, you've just got trans people are kind of like, oh, I hope this doesn't, I hope this isn't a future direction. And you've also just got gender critical people being like, now we're being lied to by Labour as well as, you know, the Scottish government. And so I don't know if that's well-intentioned or not, but it's good to see them on on side. But um, I don't know. I think they might be, I think they might be struggling with this amendment and pushing it forward. It seems to me the assumption that um, the gender, gender critical voices are just like, misinformed as opposed to a lot of them are just telling lies and no fine well they're telling lies. Sorry Deborah you were about to say something. Uh, yeah it was just basically saying this what you were going to say. To you and me Deborah just on the same way. Connected. Um, <laughs> no but you're both you're both absolutely right because the game essentially is you find someone generally a, a cis woman who has uh, had trauma or been attacked in the past um, who is vulnerable and you feed them misinformation. And that's a way that you radicalize a vulnerable person. And you just keep on doing that and doing that and doing that. And it's sort of like, it's given me, I can't just be really vicious to every gender critical person I talk to online, because I know a lot of them are victims as well. And they're being exploited in this so-called movement as well. But at the same time, when you can clearly see who are the ones that radicalize others, you can, yeah like your glenners or your your big players yeah i was going to say there's big players all the well-known names that we know and dislike uh, this uh, is a vehemently anti-harry anti- potter podcast so you know yes um 
there's people, there's even bigger players above them, big money from America, right wing, fundamental, religious mega churches that are donating millions and millions and millions of pounds. And I bet it would add up to billions if you want to do the math. I can't emphasize enough about what you were saying about vulnerable women. Um, not all women are vulnerable, uh, mm -hmm. but and not all women that have been uh, radicalized by this sort of disinformation movement, they, not all of them deserve our compassion. But I, I kind of still at the same time think like it's like almost cult-like. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really like using that language, really, because, you know, cults are fashionable on Netflix. But the, the way that they just don't want to engage with any rational discussion. And a, a perfect example of that was when they were doing the children's census. And the same people who are gender critical were the same people who were coming up and saying, oh, this is a children's sex survey. It's like, what? Like, like, and mm -hmm. they were doing it at constituency meetings and just really inappropriate places where you're like this is really mortifyingly embarrassing go and read what is happening and when you can't engage with them on that level to engage with them on the level that trans folk have to do every single day i, I just want to say solidarity man like and i know man's pure gendered but that's no 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 you're just, from glasgow it's fine i'm glaswegian I'm, I'm, i just i can't emphasize enough how frustrating it is as a gay woman, see this happening, like, and then again, the, uh, yeah, again, it's section twenty, it's the AIDS epidemic, it's mm -hmm. every slur and recycled homophobic nonsense, and now our trans, all the trans folk are getting it, and I'd, I'd, um, I'm exasperated myself, but also for for boys, love and solidarity. But it, it kind of makes sense that the same people who who are against, like, I don't know, just sex education in schools or, you know, uh, women's rights or trans rights, because it's just, it is all an attack on bodily autonomy and people mm -hmm. being informed about their choices and what they can and they can't do. And it's simply, they're very angry that, you know, I have the ability that I can change my birth certificate and they want to see that stopped all together even though we've already won that right <laughs> they want to stop that at, at all possible and it's it's just it's the same story all over again they're really angry because i have the ability to be able to edit my own body with with hormones um and and they're also really angry at, at cis women you know trans men non-binary people who are able to have abortions um, who are able to get you know mastectomies um, who are able to you know just do whatever the hell you want with your own body because you're the own expert of your own body not nobody else so yeah it's just it's the same it's the, it's the same story it's just a reboot again another really bad sequel slash reboot that's just been plundered out again and it's it's saw 11 baby you're just gonna have to see it. it's halloween like you know um i mean i think cult like is the right sort of way to classify it because it's only been within these like right-wing echo chambers where you could possibly believe some of the crazy things that they come out with. Like, you know, when somebody's turning around to somebody else and saying, Nicola Sturgeon uh, wants to send rapists into changing rooms, and you're like, any rational person would go, 
Are you sure that's what happened? That doesn't quite sound right. That sounds like it might not be quite accurate. But it's like you see all these kind of QAnon stuff in America and just how out there people can get. People who at one time, according to family and friends, were fairly normal. You know, I've got a friend who's a relative who has been so rad- radicalised with a lot of this stuff. She will swear blind that Joe Biden is a member of the Chinese Communist Party. But surely anybody in their right mind, if you turn around and say, you know Joe Biden's in the Chinese Communist Party, they'd say, the American president, Joe Biden. Like, even if you know nothing about politics, surely you would think, does he quite sound right? I'm not sure you've got the right end of the stick there. But Oh, hear me, hear me. You know that Joe Biden? Aye. Communist Chinese man at that. Aye. Like, no, you just couldn't. <laughs> even even, even a sort of in a drunk Glaswegian sort of accent, I still wouldn't. No. no. You went, oh, limit. that was a good limit. Sort of. Thank, Thank you. Moment. Thank you. All all of those the hours I've wasted watching him on Twitch is starting to <laughs> Okay, we've run over a wee bit on the first two topics, so I think we'll have a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures, from snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles. Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions one-to-one in group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote, Hollywood Unguide 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email, on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Something about pet cemeteries. Don't you want to see pets? No, not cemeteries. Just, just, <laughs> just, just go see the pets. No, oh no. <laughs> no, no, the pets, they keep them alive. They keep them alive. That's good. That's a very different sensory experience. Aye. <laughs> Everyone, go see a live pets. No, just no. go. <laughs> they're harder to keep track of than the dead ones, but, you know, at least they're, you know, nicer. They move about, don't they? That's weird. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> it's spooky. It's Halloween, okay? Who is it? Pet cemetery too? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine all these... Pets crawling at the grave, come meet me. We've not had one of these kind of podcasts that just feels like some kind of fever dream for a while, so I've missed it. That's good. That's good. I'm glad I could give you that experience. Thank you. You've you've injected some joy into the podcast, babe. Yes. I'm just training. I'm training. I'm training for Unjagged Live. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's just a wee cool. um... I've got trees behind me. I do like it. Do you know what? Just some colour as well, because it seems like every every Scottish flat that I rent from... It's a family uh, tree, David. Nice. Oh, nice. Aye, that's, that's pretty... Aye, that's pro. But yeah, no, you, you rent a flat from a landlord and they're just like, don't pay over anything. And you're just like, oh, great. Everything's kind of like either white or like off-white. And you're just like, great. Like, so no, a little bit of colour is always that's lovely. Needed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. The, the next topic in our agenda this evening 
there has been an outbreak of diphtheria at an asylum seeker processing centre at a former MOD site in Kent. The Home Office refused to confirm the number of cases of diphtheria at Manston, an airfield in Ramsgate, providing tented accommodation for about 3,000 people who arrived in the UK on small boats. Diphtheria is a highly contagious infection that affects skin, nose and throat. It can cause breathing difficulties and can be fatal without treatment. The Mansfield site, sorry, the Manston site was originally designed to hold only a thousand people and will be of concern to public health officials that cases have been identified in a facility where people are sleeping close together on the floor in tents. This obviously is a kind of developed story as well because it was then the terrorist attack in Dover, uh, which led to almost a thousand people that were based there to be moved to Manston. So it's even more um, overcrowded now than it was before. It's not been considered a terrorist attack according to the government, despite involving a suicide bombing, effectively. I don't know where to go, to go with that story. It's just so depressing how vicious our own government want to be to vulnerable people. Beth? We need to abolish the Home Office. We need to make sure it's gone. Um, and, you know, when we do win an independent Scotland, it has no place in here. An independent Scotland with a home office is just not one worth fighting for at all. Um, so I obviously think this is disgusting. Uh, absolutely no no empathy in the government's bones at all. And it just shows you really how much actions like that have happened in Kenmuir Street. Um, there's been similar sort of um, actions that have happened in Edinburgh, London, other parts of England as well. And it just really shows you that if you ever see um, an immigration van into your street, block it from moving at all, all, at all costs, you know, because people do not, any even the most like do you know what let's say let's say all the papers were right and you know everything that we should read about immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers is just somehow all right even the most meanest person in the world shouldn't be held at a place like this um so it's it's just it's absolutely disgusting you said that the limit is, is supposed to be 1000 and I'm just, uh, I've read something there just saying that like 3,000 people are like staying in between tents and the centre. And now more people are going to come on top of that, all while mm-hmm. there's an outbreak on top of that. There's yeah. just no humanity to the people who, who manage this. And it just shows you that this thing needs to be a thing of the past that is shamed and um, never reconsidered ever again. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Um, absolutely, Beth. Um, uh, it is a heinous situation. Uh, never mind the policy, but this, like, that immigration policy in itself, rip that up. Because what Suella Braverman is, uh, her, like, I dream of a plane to Rwanda. Uh, I, I can't even... What what sort of person does that? What sort of person no only thinks that but then says it in a TV was it a TV interview or a radio interview? Anyway. It was something at her conference, I think. But yeah, it uh, doesn't it doesn't matter. Like she said it and it got out. Exactly. Like, uh, I wanted to tell you about another arsehole, Tori. Hi. Uh, 
uh, Conservative MP Lee Anderson in the chamber today said, if the accommodation isn't good enough for them, they can get on a rubber dinghy back to France. And Braverman replied, my friend is right. Any complaints that accommodation isn't good enough is frankly indulgent and ungrateful. Fuck these fuckers, man. I can't see what you were saying and being in a tent. And I, I was I was about to just say all that as well, because I watched the video of them walking around the accommodation. And it's, I think Guantanamo Bay looked like in better nick, to be honest, in some of the video footage I've seen there. It is disgraceful that this government that is unelected is doing this to people. And they are the most vulnerable and most desperate of people trying to get here. And the listening to the fucking Tories, which I don't know why I even put myself through that masochistic fucking experience, but, and I'm sorry for being very animated and frustrated because I've just seen David sit back, like I'm shouting in his ears, sorry. These- No, keep going. (laughs) <laughs> These absolute bastards, they were uh, talking about how they've got to uh, look at these people's applications and they've got to go through the processes to make sure there's no terrorists or rapists or, you know, unaccompanied minors. I don't know, that last one was a wee joke because they'll just send them back on the fucking plane because they are despicable human beings. I can't believe this is our government in 2022. We're facing environmental catastrophe where we're going to have to invite people come and live with us because we're all right we've got some high bits and we've got some fresh water but instead we're we're turning people back who have got into dinghies i said this in the last pod as well if ever there was a demonstration of how desperate somebody is for sanctuary it's going in a rubber dinghy and going across the channel with big Mm -hmm. massive ships well i'll go with my wains let's this is good I have to stop because I think I'm going to blow a blood vessel. Like, I'm seriously, I'm so... This is fascism. This this is fascism. This, like, if you go and read the books, this unelected people turning away immigrants and asylum seekers telling you how bad all the refugees are. Come on to fuck, man. Can so we just turn that on already? They are absolutely everything you said, but they're also completely dishonest. The way they panic and, and scream about these small boats, like like we mentioned earlier, calling it an invasion, they could end that way like overnight if they allowed people. To, the reason this is happening is they've made it so that it's impossible for these people to go on a ferry or on a plane. Do you think the people can't afford a ferry ticket when they're paying probably a hundred times that to some criminal gang to get a diggy? Of course, they could go on the ferry. But they've set it up that the ferry companies will be massively fined if they allow it to happen. So they're bringing th- they bring in place to make sure that can't happen. So the only reason people are having to go on ferries is because of their policies. And then they turn around and start screaming and panicking people about an invasion of people on dinghies. It's other... Oh, I don't know. You've used all the words, Deborah. I don't have any more words to call them. I had zero expectations of the humanity of this government or the UK generally in a lot of things. But I was shocked when I was reading about this, when I was reading a facility for a thousand people, built for a thousand people with three thousand people in it. Intense. Yeah. Intense in the UK. I mean, see if this was in China, see if this was in Russia, they would have no hesitation 
and uh, either the government in this country or the media would have no hesitation about calling it a concentration camp. That's what it is. Concentration camps in Britain in the twenty first century. That's where we're, that's the place we've got to. And it's I don't have the words to describe how fucking wrong it is. And to explore the policy just a wee bit more, I know I said we're only going to talk about it, but after these folk get asylum, uh, they have no recourse to public funds. Mm-hmm. They get vouchers and they have they, they, can, they can get a job that's going to be very limited and then they kind of get housing benefit and many of them end up relying on food banks. Um, it's just we need to destroy the UK government. We need to dismantle it, burn it down, send in Guy Fox. I mean, that's no long. That's next week. Could do that. My next board. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm not unsigned. No, I just mean let's have a nice bonfire. Yeah, 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 yeah. You edit yourself this time, Deborah. Nah, fuck it, fuck them all. Fuck them if, I, if I can't machine gun them, you can't even blow them up. Everyone's uh, going to be you... going about with their wee anonymous masks, like pure up to silly business. It's going to be a sight to see everyone anonymous in real life. He's coming. I did have. I had my purge mask, but it's given me a headache. Flashes. I still have a wee, um, I have a plague doctor mask. I've still. got a plague doctor mask. Well, it's good just in case you know, like it ever gets really bad again. We're 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 sorted. Fuck it. Even if right, we get independence, I'm still really worried about our neighbours because it the system yeah. itself. Not only is it not right for Scotland, it's not right for Wales, it's not right for England, it's not right for Northern Ireland, like. There isn't a bit of it that that's working. We are, you know, shotgunning, going through as many prime ministers we possibly can at the moment. Um, and and I don't even think it's, yeah, it's not even good enough for England. Like, they have to genuinely change everything because it's, it's not a good democracy. First past the post isn't a democratic voting system. It doesn't equal, it's not proportionate in any way, shape or form. So, but then again, Labour don't want to introduce that and, and never will the Tories. So great, great. Like that really makes me want to stay and feel welcome and everything. But hey, we need to be really scared because, oh, it might mean we, we get the euro instead of the pound. <gasps> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> it might be easier to buy stuff. <laughs> It's just a disgusting government, a disgusting system of a government as well. It doesn't matter who's who's in place because you have shit like this going on. And that's the thing you have you have the Tories coming out with like monstrous stuff, and the UK Labour's reaction is to pander to it, to maybe at best slightly yeah. mitigate it. Mm-hmm. You know how can we do this and how can we like have a slightly more humane concentration camp. That's that's about the, the ambition they their goals, you know. Never never forget the Labour immigration controls mug. Never. <laughs> oh, and that was under the radical left wing leader Ed Miliband that we heard about. And, and you're right, if we get uh, Beth, if we get independence, it's still worrying to have that kind of government on our doorstep. And governments like that in relation to like asylum seekers they make it harder for other governments to be as open uh, because they all sort of not pick up their, you know, 
share of people, which puts a lot of pressure under you know smaller countries that that want to do the right thing that that, that maybe will not be able to be because we'll get a, a massive country on doorstep, no willing to actually help at all, or no willing to. Because even though the UK is 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 big and scary in some senses, we'll kind of have Europe, their neighbours essentially. So it's going to be like so much, like in like fighting between the EU and the Tory Party again. It's going to be it's going to be a weird sort of you know rewatch repeat. I mean, they keep, they keep threatening to rebuild Hadrian's Wall, but every time they threaten it, it sounds more like a promise. Even you the know, first one was shit. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that fussed about it. Uh, let's move on to our final topic this week. This is quite a list. Uh, as the just stop oil protesters have been very busy in October. On the 14th of October, protesters drew to Matt Suppet Vincent Van Gogh's painting "Sunflowers" at the London National Gallery. The painting was protected by glass and was damaged. The rotating sign outside Scotland Yard was also spray painted orange. Then on the 17th of October. Two supporters scaled the Queen Elizabeth II Bridge, which connects the M25 between Essex and Kent, causing its closure. This resulted in a six-mile congestion in both directions of the bridge. Also on the same day, they spray-painted the exterior of the Aston Martin showroom in Park Lane 1. On the 20th of October, 20 members spray-painted the exterior windows of Harrods. 24th of October, two protesters smeared cake on the waxwork of King Charles at Madame Tussauds. On the 25th of October, I told you it was a list. Protesters spray painted on 55 Tufton Street, a building home to climate change denial think tank. And then on the 26th of October, police arrested more than a dozen activists who blocked Piccadilly in central London and spray painted luxury car storage rooms in nearby Mayfair. They're a busy bunch. A busy bunch. Deborah, how do you feel about all these um, protests that's been going on? Bloody protesters, bloody destroying art. No, I, I thought it was all right. It was a bit of art in itself, wasn't it? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, when I first heard it, I was like, why are they going after Van Gogh? Before the artist. And then I, I listened to what the protester had to say. Well, that makes sense. And they didn't really damage it. It was some soup. Um, I thought it was... a. Uh, a nice wee sort of nod to the whole intersectionality of our fight, basically, and the cost of living and environmentalism and everything like that. I, I liked the cake on the Prince Charles waxwork. Uh, that made me laugh. I, I feel panicky when people glue themselves to stuff, though, because I'm like, there's you could do a lock on and put your arm in the drain pipe and there's other things that won't compromise the integrity of your skin like that. That just is a personal thing. I don't like the use of glue. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this because uh, Neil Scott might fall out with me, but I prefer Stop Oil uh, Extinction Rebellion. Ooh. <laughs> I, think that, uh, I think there are young people who know that they have to step up and do something and I, I just wish that I was a college activist young and fit and could get into some of this stuff. I'd be climbing up cranes and all, the, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> like I'm in there. I'd, I love a bit of uh, affirmative action. I mean you can. Like nothing's <laughs> stopping you. You're being like 
Like, what? what is actually, like, but yeah, I mean, probably don't out yourself that you're going to climb up a, a massive tower in Glasgow on a specific date or anything. Hey, if anyone's, like, if a courtroom's listening, this is a massive joke. Deborah was just joking, y'all. Unless she doesn't, which case she clearly wasn't. Uh, well, yeah, well, you've just fucked her now. Like, they're going <laughs> to listen to that, and they're going to be like, well... <laughs> Sorry, I'm already in MI5. I'll just, I'll just tell them. <laughs> I'm going up the Titan Crane <laughs> and play back. <laughs> I'm not coming down. Massive just stop oil sign draped off of it. That'd be great. I also used to uh, not believe in going full net zero because I was uh, a bit concerned about uh, rural infrastructure and the reliance on... Uh, oil and stuff, but uh, as I'm getting older, they say you get more conservative, but I, I think I'm getting more and more radical, and I'll just end up as some sort of anarchist. I don't know. I mean, climbing I, up trains. <laughs> when I first heard about the Sunflowers protest, I had quite an initial negative sort of reaction, because uh-huh. my first assumption was that they destroyed the painting, and I just thought, you know, that's, is that really the what we should be doing? Like, you know, you might say, well, what good is a painting on a dead planet? That, you know, a valid argument. But I think I watched too much Star Trek in the 90s. So I keep thinking about, like, these kind of great works of art and civilization and continuing them. And I would have been really upset to think that something like that was destroyed. But when you hear more about it, it was behind glass. There was slight damage to the frame, but the painting was all right. And it get massive attention. You know, yeah. so you can say it didn't do its job. And I'm more, oh, sorry. I was, I was just going to say the other targets are actually things that I would have been like, yes, that's actually really well chosen. But none of them get the same kind of coverage or the same uh, mm-hmm. publicity as the, the Van Gogh one did. So hard to argue that it was a good idea. I was just going to say that I'm more of a Deep Space Nine girl myself, but like Cisco would probably be so down with this. He'd be like, here, give me a can of soup. <laughs> but um, what's great about it is we're all talking about it. I thought it was really good that the painting wasn't wasn't damaged in any way. And it kind of just makes sense because originally I think we all had that reaction of being like, oh no, what, what happened to it? But, um, you know, when they were like, well, there's glass on it. And we're like, oh yeah, of course there was. That that would make sense. Why would why would a, why would the National Museum not put at least glass in front of their works of art? Like just let all the, you know, bacteria and everything just get in it over time and let it just deteriorate. No, of course not. Um, but the good thing is, is like we're all talking about it. We're all talking about it here. Um the only thing I hope is because a lot of people get dragged into the sort of like more discussion about tactics than a discussion about how, you know, the planet's burning and we need to do something about it or there's not going to be a planet. Um, And I hope we can more get to that discussion rather than just continuously going like, oh, they're going their hands to roads. What if what if such and such can't get through? Or what if this or that and the next thing? Or oh, what if the, the glass broke? Or what if that? And it's just like, no, we need to get to, like, there are rich people, there are massive corporations who aren't doing enough. And as people, individual responsibility can only go so far. Yes, you can take your recycling bin out, but that's not that in itself isn't going to save the planet. We need to do a lot more in terms of talking to people in power and singling them out and, and really 
you know, saying that, well, if you're not going to change it, we'll find somebody else who will. I think that's a really important point, but it's kind of falling on deaf ears at Westminster since they're not going to go to COP27 anyway, the Prime Minister. And if you listen to the news programmes, don't know if you saw it, uh, Julia Hart Brewer, she was on denying uh, climate change was happening at all, saying it wasn't a big deal, no big thing. And meanwhile, a third of Pakistan is underwater with millions of people displaced. Uh, and that's there's entire islands disappearing. And you're so right that a lot of the time, I think it's because we are activists, we kind of get bogged down in that, well, should they be doing it this way? Should they be doing it that way? But you're, you, you're spot on. You've called me exactly right. Shouldn't be talking about tactics. We should be talking oh. about the impending climate disaster that's upon us. It's on, we were just talking earlier on about how it's so mild in October. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think tactics are important because one of the things we need to do is make sure we bring the public with us, and I and I do worry that some of the sort of actions, like you know, like blocking roads, for example, it seems to be pitting protesters against the general public, and if the if the general public turn against. Um, you know, environmental campaigners as a kind of rule. I mean, the Tories and the governments will love that. You know, they'll crack down as they have done and they'll do it in the state of knowledge that it'll get them a wee bump in the polls. I think when you do things like, you know, spray paint parades or, you know, the Aston Martin showroom, I think the general public are like, aye, that's fine. Like, I'm going to buy an Aston Martin, get it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know you know, the elites that are, you know, leading in consumption that is destroying the planet, you know, target them, and I think most of the public can get involved with that, and they'll be actually quite like it, because uh, if we leave them behind, I don't see how any action is really going to work in the long term that will get publicity, but it's not going to be an effective government if they feel the public are on their side rather than the protesters' side. Sometimes I do think, though, like, as activists... We can be so scared about optics, and I say this sometimes as a trans person as well, that we end up just don't doing anything at all, or at least do a lot less. And yes, optics are important, but you just constantly need to to do that. And I totally get like being like, well, well, maybe it's very easy for the public to go against the, those protesters, and it's very easy for the Tories um to to spin that but it's it's starting to change it's changing a lot more that's what they did with the trade union movement and the public for a very long time and the the public are mostly inside with trade unionists they've said enough is enough and and you know they're, they're actually supporting them um and i think a similar thing is happening with the climate that a lot of people are starting to be like right no we we, we do actually need to do something um I remember, you know, like even 10 years or more ago, there were a lot more people skeptical about was there really climate change? And now, you know, so many more people are on board with it and being like, of course, it was actually embarrassing that I ever doubted it in the first place. If one good thing came out of this, it's that I discovered there is more than one Van Gogh sunflowers painting. I thought oh, it was just the one. There's loads of them. Oh, that makes sense. I'm not even sure what ones I've seen before because some of them are quite different, but some of them are quite similar. And I'm thinking, 
is that the famous one or was that the famous one? There's so one in a vase. This was the fourth there? version. Is there one in a vase? There's more than one in a vase. Okay, I've seen with one slightly in a vase. Slightly, no, slightly I've seen different the field. Uh, very so, nice. So every day is a school day. I feel like if we resurrected Van Gogh and we were like, here, this is what's happening to your paintings, his first response was like, what, the planet's dying? It wouldn't be like, oh no, a bit of Heinz soup <laughs> like got put up against the glass. He'd probably a lot more concerned about, well, is this, is is the sunflowers that I've painted, are they, are they, you know, will they not be around soon? Like what's, you know, I think he would be more, um, more scared about that rather than being like, oh, my work of arts that, you know, didn't receive enough love when I was alive is is you know being close to, to a can of hind soup. See now I'm just thinking about that Doctor Who episode. I I definitely. If only there was oh if only the doctor took him <laughs> to when the soup was happening. And he's like, look at how the people like your work. Meanwhile <laughs> smash. He just oh, starts no, crying. Sorry. The Don't response is exactly the same. I feel like Brian when we talk about Game of Thrones right now. Do you not know, watch Doctor Who? I haven't seen it in ages. I've not the seen last it in one while. was. I watched the last episode and it was it was pants, really pants. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I just I've been watching Chris Eccleston's season and I've just learned like how good I actually can be, like because he was just he was fantastic. And I know there's a lot of people out there who's like, nah, it's David Tennant. David Tennant is the best, but. In terms of the doctor you wanted more from, it's always going to be Christopher Eccleston for me. Yeah. That writing was just fantastic. But yeah, there was a bit of queer baiting in this season and nothing paid off. It, they were sort of being like, oh, is the doctor going to kiss her female companion? Are we going to get like a lesbian interracial love kiss on Doctor Who first ever? And the episode before the final one, they really hyped it up that something really? was going to happen that she was going to be you know Yaz was going to be open with her feelings to the doctor and maybe say the L word um, and then just nothing happened and at the end I remember I was like this is it this is where they both kiss oh my gosh and oh no no oh she just went out the door oh that's weird spoiler warning <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm, I'm gonna spoil you and being like they're gonna you know they're gonna go for your queer heart and they're gonna say like watch this space and you're going to watch that space and you're going to be let down but yeah I really hope uh, with like Russell T Davis coming back to write it we get some good too again I just hope we're not overly dependent on one person only one person who? can write good who who's the new doctor it is the person who was in sex education one second let me find out well it's temporarily for the next few episodes David Tennant again is it? Because of the anniversary. The what is yeah. it, the 60th anniversary is coming up? Yes, I think. I wonder if more people go back and appreciate Matt Smith Doctor. Matt Smith has, you know, made it really big with House of the Dragon. No. Did I dream it or was Tony Robinson the Doctor once? Tommy Tommy Robinson. Tony Robinson. The oh, guy okay. that done Time Maybe. Team. Uh, and Baldrick. So. The, closest, the closest I think we got to that was 
a Children in Need episode where Rowan Atkinson was briefly the doctor. Maybe that's that what I'm thinking. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. But of. I don't think that's canon. Doctor Who and Star Trek in the same podcast. By the way, this is an hour and a half podcast. I'm going to murder you. I'm still trying to figure out how to say this guy's name. Sorry. Um, One second. Um, I just don't want to butcher it. Suti Gadwa. Suti Gadwa. So the that new sounds, person that sounds for, for, that for Doctor Who is Suti Gadwa. They've yes. been previously in sex education. Um, and from what I, I've, I've seen of him and that it really really good stuff and i think it's going to be good it's going to be good to see like a doctor of color like finally being the leading position because they flirted with that in the last season but not really you know properly committed to that so that's going to be cool to see yeah i might tune back in yeah i might go and try and catch up with the the last couple of seasons that i've drifted away from but on that note, we're going to have to end it because Deborah will be ready to have to edit this extra long podcast. So and it's a good find, one, though. You can find all our podcasts at leftofdrunk.org as well as written articles. We have a North American monthly podcast, uh, World Beat with George Collins. You can also catch the Top Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. And if you want us to talk about anything on Hollywood, you can tweet us at underscore ungag, hashtag Hollywood ungag, or send us an email ungagleft at gmail.com put Hollywood ungagged in the subject link and if you enjoyed this please give us five stars in whatever podcast platform you use and we also have a Discord community so if you want to get involved with that please contact us in any of our social media outfits. Deborah, Beth, despite feeling under the weather I've really enjoyed Jackie's it's nice to vent, get some of the anger out Aye. and Deborah, I'll see you next week Beth I'm sure we'll catch up again. Definitely Hopefully. I hope you have a spooky night, everyone. A spooky and fun night. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.